Hello again, everyone. If you have a Bible or a device, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And as you're doing that, we as a church commend Brian and Alicia Martin uh, in their faithfulness uh, over the years serving God to the ministry he's called them to. Uh, we support and encourage Josh Carreri as uh, he senses God's calling to work with youth. And uh, I also want to encourage you, if you're a parent of a ch child or a grandparent, um, and you have never had a child go to Conestoga Bible Camp, you're not familiar with the camp, I'd encourage you to check out that, uh, their website today. And uh, the camp is about 30 minutes away. And uh, as was mentioned by Willard Bauman, there's an open house uh, next Sunday. So I encourage you to consider that. Um, it, God has used that camp in the lives of young people. And so we wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly endorse that. Today we, as we continue in our study, are talking, uh, working through 1 Thessalonians, and today uh, we are uh, learning about how to please God, and uh, we're going to find in the text three ways we can please God. The first is uh, by being sexually pure, the second is by loving each other, and the third is by working hard. And as we follow the text, most of the weight of this morning's message is on the first point, sexual purity. So we're gonna be talking about sex today, and before we begin, I wanna to say to those of you uh, that are here, and this is a painful topic for you, uh, maybe you've been sexually assaulted, or something has happened in regards to sex, uh, I just wanna ask you to bear with us today um, as we work through this text. If you're here today and um, you in the past uh, or presently, um, your God's standard for sex, you, you've fallen short. Uh, today's message is not to shame you or to guilt you. Uh, today is a new day. God is a God of forgiveness and uh, so that you from this day forward would honor God uh, when it comes to sex. If you're uh, struggling with sexual addiction, uh, I want to say there is hope. It takes work, uh, but uh, you can be free. And then if you're here today and you've been taught about sex in a very harsh, judgmental, shameful way, uh, I'm sorry, because that is not uh, the way of Jesus. And so today we're going to talk about this important topic in particular and pleasing God uh, with it. So uh, would you join once again as we just pray uh, uh, once again, just as we look into the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is true, that it is trustworthy, that it imparts wisdom, and that it is eternal. And God, as we open the scriptures, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would not only open our eyes to see, but that you would give us faith to respond. God, do your work. Speak to all of us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, living to please God. Paul writes this, As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. So Paul, with his tone here, is so encouraging, and he's saying to these new Christians about a year after they became followers of Jesus and they're in Thessalonica, he's saying, way to go, keep living to please God. And he says, as for other matters in particular, he was talking about uh, following Jesus, that there will be uh, trials, that there'll be sorrow. Uh, keep following God as you work through those trials. But now he's going to talk about temptations, and he's saying, please continue to please God uh, in the face of temptations. 
Uh, trials will come and, and temptations will come. And notice there he's calling all of them collectively to please God. If you're a follower of Jesus, or let me rephrase that. If you're here today and you don't want to please God, you really have no desire, you have to ask yourself the question, am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Because one of the things when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in you and you start to have this pull towards God and his ways. Uh, and so you want to please God. And let me just say too, pleasing God, we don't do it to earn his love, to earn his acceptance. We do it in response to the reality that we're already loved, we're already accepted. Oh God, thank you. And now help me to live to please you. And so Paul is very positive, encouraging. And notice the phrase more and more. It's this idea of you're doing it now. Keep doing it. Keep growing. And then uh, he then now uh, goes into the first uh, instructions. And this is to do with sex. Verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. It is God's will. So when it comes to uh, sex, uh, we don't have to discern um, w whether sexual immorality is God's will or not, right? Some things in life, as we go through life, we have to discern what's God's will for me. So if I'm a young person and I'm considering my, my future, you know, do I go to college? Do I um, go to university? Do I go straight into the workforce? Uh, or if I'm a parent, do I send my child to a public school, a Christian school? Do I homeschool? So we look to God's word. We look to God's people for counsel. We look to God's circumstances, his providence. And we, then we look also as well to the spirit working inside of us, giving us an impression one way or the other. So we're discerning God's will when it comes to so many things. But other times when we go to the word, it's explicit. This is God's will for you. And God's will is that you would vo avoid, you'd abstain from sexual immorality. So God's will is, is that you would be sexually pure. Now, why does Paul um, zoom in right away on uh, being sexually pure. Well, it's because in Thessalonica, which was in Europe in the first century, uh, it's, it, Thessalonica is a new name now, but it's still in Europe, hasn't moved. Um, but in Thessalonica, as well as throughout the whole Roman Empire, sexual immorality was prevalent. And in fact, it was celebrated. Uh, today, we look around and we live in a very highly sexualized culture. Uh, it seems everywhere you look, uh, that messages are coming at us, and um, right now, pornography, uh, despite uh, social science and research, it's, 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 uh, people are trying to make it to come into mainstream society. Uh, polymory, I mentioned that to you before, open marriages, and, and that, that's trying to come into society right now in the uh, world of academia. There are certain people who are voicing that maybe sex with minors isn't so bad. Uh, and we're just kind of like, and we look at schools and uh, three, four, five-year-olds being taught things that really are inappropriate for them. It's just, it's coming at us. We live in a highly sexualized culture, but, it's not new. And by the way, as followers of Jesus, we're not to curse the darkness, we're to shine the light. And uh, so Paul is addressing these um, Christians and he's saying, God's called you out of sexual immorality. 
So he's writing this to them from Corinth. And in Corinth, there was the temple uh, to Aphrodite. She was a goddess. And in fact, there were about five temples around the area. And uh, one writer of antiquity says that Aphrodite in Corinth had a thousand prostitutes um, serving. That in the, that pagan religion, um, part of the, the worship uh, was prostitution. So um, in the first century, there was sexual immorality all around. And uh, it was interesting. Uh, uh, if a woman got married, she had to be sexually uh, faithful to her husband. But the man could continue uh, to, be, to, to have sex with whoever he wanted, whether it was a prostitute. We also know from antiquity that some men had relationships with younger men. And uh, so there was just a lot of sex um, outside the covenant of marriage. And so Paul is writing to them and saying, God's will for you is to come out of that and be sexually pure. And uh, because God has called you to that. And just like today, we would ask the question, who is God to say what I should do with my body? Who is God to say I should or shouldn't do that? Um, we struggle. Hey, God, are you, really? And in the first century, they struggled too because they were taught, these new Christians, before they became Christians, they were taught that your body was separate from your spirit. In the first three centuries, there was false teaching, Gnosticism. Um, John the Apostle talks about it in 1 John. But at the core of Gnosticism was the idea of dualism, that, there was a, that your body was separate from the rest of you, that your body, what you did with it, didn't affect you emotionally, didn't affect you uh, physically, didn't affect you relationally, didn't affect you spiritually. And so you could do whatever you wanted with your body and that's what they were taught. Because the body, for most of them, the body was evil, the spirit was good. So just like I want to eat, I have this desire for sex, I just fulfill it. That's just, and who are you, God, to say that? And so Paul is saying, no, you need to come out of that. God wants you to be sexually pure because he is the one behind it all. He designed sex. And just for reminding our young people, but all of us, uh, we didn't discover sex behind God's back, right? Oh, God's not looking. Here we go. Wow. No, God invented sex. And he invented it with a certain purpose, that it would be a gift between a man and a woman. Genesis 2, Jesus affirms the sexual ethic in Matthew 19. It would be a gift. So sex is not about getting. It's about giving. And so sexual purity is faithfulness in marriage and abstinence in singleness. That's sexual purity. That if you're married, that you would be sexually pure, that you'd be faithful to your spouse, not only physically, but mentally. Jesus talks about lust, and he says it's not just physical, it's mental as well. So you're battling for sexual purity. And if I'm single, I'm abstaining, I'm celibate, and I'm battling for sexual purity as well. Paul would say uh, a number of years later, to the church at Corinth. He would say to them, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you were bought with a price? That you don't belong to yourself, you belong to God, so honor God with your body. So Paul says, to please God, you're battling for sexual purity. 
Now, why? Why should we flee sexual immorality? Why should we battle for sexual purity? Well, Paul lists a number of reasons. The first one is because sexual purity is honorable. Notice what he says in verse 4, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. That when we're controlling our bodies, we're honoring God's design for it. Notice a few things about this verse. First, each of you to the um, Christians in Paul's day, that was shocking if I was a male. Because, uh, well, females, you're married, you need to be sexually pure. Uh, but if I'm a male, I don't have to control my body and my desires. It was shocking. It was radical. And again, one of the reasons the early church grew rapidly in the first three uh, hundred years is because when people gave their life to Jesus, they realized that in Christ we are equal, man and woman, and that men, men don't have power over women, men uh, are not better than women, we are equal. And so Paul is saying to the women, but also to the men, this is God's will for you. So he says, each of you, and notice, should learn. Uh, to be sexually pure is not something that we, happens overnight. It's a battle. It's, a, it's a, a process of learning to kill that which is of your old nature. When you become a Christian, God's spirit comes into you, but you still have your old nature. One day you won't have your old nature, but until that day, it's a battle. You've got to pull. You want to please God, but, but also your old nature is pulling you. And Paul says, um, you've got to learn it, uh, which means it takes time, it takes intention, it doesn't always come easily. So each of you should learn to control your own body. And the word for body he uses there is the idea of a vessel. And a classic illustration is of a pilot and a plane. A pilot, a good pilot, has learned, understands, and learned to honor the vessel, right? So a pilot taking off, a pilot flying, a pilot landing. If you've been to an air show, the maneuvers. The pilot understands the design of the vessel, what it can do and what it can't do. If I fly this way, it's a good thing. If I fly this way, ooh, it's going to be a dangerous thing. That's the idea here. Uh, Paul wasn't thinking about planes at that time. Um, everybody got that right, okay. But, but the idea here is that with my body, I'm honoring God's design. If I do this, it's good. But my body, if I do that, there is a consequence. So it's honorable. Number two, it's evidence we know God. When I am battling for sexual purity, it's evidence that I know God. Look what he says in verse 5 not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Paul distinguishes between people who know God and people who don't know God. And he parallels knowing God with sexual purity and not knowing God uh, with sexual immorality. Because all around, these Christians were people who didn't know God and there was lots of sexual immorality. But he said, you've been called out of that. You have a relationship with God. And so now you're on that trajectory towards being sexually pure. You're battling sexual immorality. Now, that doesn't mean if someone struggles or has an addiction that they're not a Christian, but it does mean that they're this way, going towards God, as opposed to just, oh, well, that's just the way I am. Who cares? That there's a battle going on. To know God produces sexual purity. Because in time, the more you get to know how great and good God is, you realize that your purpose, your treasure, is not anything he's created, is not any idol, but it's he himself. God, you are my treasure. You are 
uh, and I want to please you. So moral purity, it starts with our relationship with God. Um, at, at couples dating, it's great to have boundaries in, in, in your physical relationships. Um, those are good things, but it, it goes beyond that. It, it's, it goes right back to God. God, you bought me with your blood. You died on the cross for me. Help me to honor you. And so um, as you battle for sexual purity, it gives evidence you know God. Number three, sexual purity doesn't harm others. Sexual immorality harms others. Look what Paul says in verse six, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The word take, uh, take advantage um, has the idea of crossing a boundary, a territory that is not ours, going into it. Uh, this week, uh, I think it was Monday night of this week, um, I was uh, up uh, outside a little later till dark doing some yard work in my front yard. Uh, my front yard looks pretty good. Uh, my backyard, don't look at my backyard, it's bad. But my front yard, it looks pretty good. And I remember at the end of the day, it was just, uh, you know, just dusk, and I was looking and um, I was like, okay, I'm done, it's great. Uh, we went away uh, for one night this week, we came back, and the two cast iron pots that we had on the front porch with plants in them were gone. Someone stole them, and I felt violated. I was like, someone crossed onto my property and took what was mine. Now, it's one thing to have your cast iron pots taken away, but if your innocence has been taken away, if someone has sexually assaulted you, or abuse it, that's a whole other matter. That's against your personhood. And I wanna say, if you're here and you have been sexually assaulted, we have a God who heals. We have a God who has promised to redeem even bad things done to us. May God heal, may God give you faith. And we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a moment. But sexual immorality harms others. People cross into somebody else's territory. All sin is an equal offense before God, but not all sin is equal in its ramifications, in its consequences. In other words, some sins have greater consequences, not just maybe for an individual or a couple, but for a whole community. Uh, they, can, they can be quite significant. Uh, now, maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I would never, never abuse someone or sexually assault one. I'm, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, uh, I'm not going to do that, but I just want to remind all of us, and especially our young people, that there is no such thing as consequence-free sex. There is no such thing as safe sex. Anything outside of God's design is not safe because the way he's designed it, there's always a consequence when we go outside of that design. So, for example, um, right now, you can, there's a lot of social research going on about sex in our culture, and you look at sex outside of marriage, and by, uh, yeah, sex outside of marriage, that there's a lot going on, and it's not good. Um, just backing up what Scripture says, one, this was from three years ago from the Washington Post, uh, but they had an article, they ran an article, and it was entitled, Divorcing Sex from Love Hasn't Made Sex More Fun, More Safe, or less complicated. And they cited a study in which they studied uh, men and women who were in, uh, who were practicing uncommitted sex. So that, you know, it's, it's just a casual thing, it's just a hookup, I, it's just casual sex, 
We're not committed. And 72% of the men regretted doing it because they felt they had used or taken advantage of the woman. And 78% of the women felt they had been taken advantage of and they regretted it. When we have sex outside of God's covenant, uh, and in the covenant, when we have sex, neurochemicals are released, and these chemicals in our brain are released whether we want them to be or not, and these chemicals were designed to bond uh, a couple, a man and a woman, together. It was about giving, not getting, and the problem with sex outside of that covenant, if I have sex with this person or this person, or online, I'm just constantly looking at these images, these chemicals are being released, which bonds me, and my brain becomes confused. And the result is I'm on a trajectory to being less whole. So God has designed this so that it would bond, and the more that I honor that design, the more I will be whole. So Paul says, don't take advantage of one another. And I just want to say the Me Too movement highlights this point. So many people have been damaged by sexual immorality. And you know the tragedy, really, uh, another tragedy on top of that tragedy, is that there have been people in the church who have practiced sexual immorality. There's been cover-up, and in particular, women in the past have been uh, ignored or silenced or, or been shamed. And not only have they been violated, but it's just bad. We have a God who forgives, but the result is the consequence of sexual immorality is that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 2, you're the people of God, and you're not acting like it, and my name is being blasphemed among the nations, right? If I'm a non-Christian, and I look at the church, and here's another person, another person, sexual morality, it's like, I don't need that God. And he's blasphemed. So it hurts uh, Sexual immorality hurts others, it harms others, but sexual purity doesn't. Number four, Paul said, God will punish the sexually immoral. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. So in Ukraine, when we hear reports about soldiers assaulting young women, women in particular, uh, not one single soldier will get away with that. Uh, when we think about Afghanistan and just the um, sexual assaults there, other countries, not one single person will get a, a, away with it. But here's the thing. I think if we're all honest, we would all say, or most of us, that we've been sexually immoral, at least with our thoughts. And God has to judge that. But here's the good news. This is the gospel that Jesus Christ died to pay for all of our sins, including our sexual immorality, that there is forgiveness, that God has done something for us. That's the gospel. And if you've been struggling with carrying guilt or, or shame or anything to do with sexual uh, immorality, there's a God who not only forgives, but he heals. A God who takes our sin upon himself and he washes us and he presents us to the Father, holy, righteous, and blameless. As Paul would say, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are forgiven. He has removed your sin, including your sexual sin, as far as the east is from the west. How far is the east from the west? They don't meet. 
that by God's grace, all our sexual immorality has been covered by Christ's crucifixion. So how do we respond to that? Do we tip our hat to God and say, thanks a lot? No, we say, oh God, in light of what you've done for me, that I'm loved and accepted and I'm, I'm righteous in your eyes, I turn, help me to please you. Help me to please you. Paul continues in verse seven. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And again, as you read the book of 1 Thessalonians, each chapter ends with Paul saying, Christ is coming again. Here's the return of Christ. As you're going through life now, keep thinking about the day that you see Jesus. So he says to those where sexual immorality was all around them, don't keep living that way. You've been called. You're going to see Jesus. You be pure. And that's the, the battle for us all, that we would live in light of Jesus' return that we would seek to live a holy life. And then he says this, therefore anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. So Paul is saying, these instructions about sexual purity, not my idea, I'm not just giving you my opinion, it's God's design, it's with God. So if you don't follow them, it's, you're not offending me, it's God that you're rejecting. That's a pretty powerful statement. But secondly, Paul implies in that, notice, that God has given you his Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't have to be sexually immoral. You can be and fight for sexual purity. Growing, becoming more like Jesus, sanctification is a process. And we're not just doing it on our own but we have the Holy Spirit. And growth is a cooperative venture between ourselves and the Holy Spirit, that I'm taking steps and God is working in me through his word and through his spirit. And in time, I'm seeing growth in my life. So each day, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not only preaching the gospel, oh, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving, you know, doing that, but Jesus, you've given me the power to learn to kill my sins, to, to put off my old nature, put on my new nature, to take off the old, to put on the new, that I be killing sin. So why? Paul lists a number of reasons for sexual purity, and that pleases God. Uh, let's transition. How can we flee sexual immorality. Again, it's a process, learning to kill, learning to turn from sin and turn to God. So first is we pursue Jesus. Um, as followers of Jesus, we're to live out of our relationship with him in us, that we're getting his word in us, that we're around other Christians who are encouraging us. And, and out of that, we've got Jesus as our focus. If Jesus is not the most important thing in your life, he's not your focus, then it will be very, very easy just to do what those who do not know God do. So it's so important, Lord Jesus, I'm living for you. Number two, uh, we exchange lies for truth. Every day we're hearing lies about all sorts of things, and when it comes to sex, we're hearing lies as well, and I'm exchanging. I'm not believing that, and instead I'm believing this. Can I mention, I wanna mention two lies, uh, uh, two truths rather. The first one is God is not stingy, but good. God is not stingy, but good. Oh, if you become a Christian, no more sex for you. You know, no sex, like you just, who wants that? God 
is for us. God has our best interests at heart. And the reason he's put guardrails around this gift is to protect us because it's dangerous when we're not using this gift the way he's called us to use it. So if you want to battle for sexual purity, you have to understand the truth is God wants your very best. And number two, a second truth is sinful pleasures are not filling, but fleeting. That, that yes, there is pleasure in sin. There's a dopamine drop, but then I need another one. And there's constantly this filling that needs to be taking place. They're fleeting. But instead, I've got to say, Jesus, you're worth more than that. Lord, you are my pleasure. You are my treasure. And I will say this, uh, in, in, we may not think it so in this culture, in our you know, world in which we live, but there are Christians who are in, uh, dating or engaged who are saying, we're going to wait to have sex for marriage. And it's possible. Because we believe that's the best thing. Now, again, if you are in a relationship or you've been in a relationship and, and there's been sex outside of the marriage, God's a God who forgives. But today's a new day. Say, God, I just want to honor you. I'm going to wait. And then secondly, there are people, Christians, who are single and have never had sex. They're choosing to be celibate, faithful to God. It's hard. Lord, help me. But the truth is not, oh, you've got to have sex to be fulfilled. The truth is, Jesus is what fulfills. I can be whole and still single. And the single person that's doing that is saying, I'm living and I'm pointing to the day when Jesus comes. And just a reminder, singles and married couples, but singles as well, it's only temporary. You're not missing out. Um, Just a reminder, you were born single, Everybody good with that one? Okay. And you're going to die single. And in heaven, there will be no marriage. There will be no sex. But before, you need to understand, there will be greater pleasures. And a person that says, I'm going to honor God, is pointing to that day. So we pursue Jesus. We exchange lies for truth. Number three, we decrease accessibility and we increase accountability. That if I want to battle for sexual purity, I can't have temptation accessible to me. So if I'm dating someone, we've got to have guardrails. If I'm in the office and there's someone that maybe I'm attracted to, I've got to have some guardrails. And uh, when it comes to pornography, I've got to make it less accessible. I've got to remove myself from that temptation. And that's why we have covenant eyes and other programs uh, to help make it less, and filters to make it less accessible. To, to say, oh, Jesus, I want to follow you and I love you, um, but, but then the screen's right there and there's no filter. It's like someone that struggles with alcohol and says, Lord, I, wanna, I don't want to get drunk, but his fridge has got lots of beer and there's you know, liquor on his shelves. Uh, it's not going to work. Similarly, if I have a drug addiction and I want to be free of drugs, Lord, but I've got friends that are selling it, it's not going to work. Same thing. If I'm going to be sexually pure, I've got to put a distance beside from that temptation. And they say probably about 30 days it takes because 
what happens is when we are engaged with pornography, our brains are wired a certain way, and we just need the dopamine drop, dopamine drop. And to be free of that, I've got to... I've got to cut it so at least 30 days where I'm rewiring my brain and I have a new neural pathway. And again, accountability. It takes maybe someone coming beside you and holding you accountable, but it is so worth it. And I just want to say before I go on to the next point is um, God has used a program called Celebrate Recovery uh, in over 10,000 churches uh, around the world, mostly in North America. But Celebrate Recovery is a place where people who struggle with certain things come, and it's a safe place. It's a wonderful place, and God has used that um, to help people take steps towards being free. And so I encourage you, there's, uh, in KW, there's a location or two, um, and I'm hoping one day something, we'll have something like that in our church as well. And then number four, we confess our sins to God. We have a God who forgives again and again and again, and confession is agreeing with God. This is not right, but confession also means I'm renouncing it. God, I'm turning from this. This is not what you want. And in time, you're learning to say, I don't want that sin. I'm turning, and I'm going to take some steps to do that. I'm going to keep fighting. So again, if you're struggling with addiction, there is hope. So Paul says God's will for you pleasing God when it comes to sex, is that you would be sexually pure. Then Paul continues, and he writes to them about love and working hard. Verse 9. Now, about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so. Notice this, more and more more. Interesting, Paul has just talked to them. Last week we looked in chapter 3, he's talking to them about loving each other. He's saying, you're doing it great. Why does he remind them again? Because he was talking to them about trials, about suffering, and how we need one another in the body of Christ to love each other, to be there for each other. And now he's talking about temptations. It's the same thing. We need one another. We need to walk together in this. And I just want to say at Woodside, that's what we want, that we would love each other, that issues and things would not come between us, but that we would together love and love. And that more and more has the idea of sanctification, that your capacity to love is growing. Okay? If Jesus is working in your life, the longer you get to know him and his grace, the more you're going to find yourself judgmental, critical. You're going to have this love, this grace for people. So love more and more. And then work hard. Notice what he says in verses 11 and 12. He instructs them, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, you should mind your own business. Don't you like that one? You should mind your own business. Well, who are you to say that? Uh, I'm actually not. God is. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul's writing to some Christians who were brought up, many of them, with this idea, this mindset that some work or even work in general is beneath me. And so you had Christians who were like still thinking that way that, it's beneath me. I don't have to work. And then you had other Christians who had gotten saved and in that first year were confused about the Lord's return and they're like, Jesus is coming. 
I, I, I don't have to work. I don't have to, to do anything. And as a result, they were meddling. They were interfering. They were nosy, busy bodies. And Paul says, listen, stop meddling and mind your own business and get to work. And Paul talks again and again uh, to Christians in his letters about a strong work ethic that you at work, that you're not lazy. You ought to be a great worker. Why? Because you're providing an income, but also there's people watching you, outsiders, people that aren't saved, that you just living your quiet life and seeking the Lord and following the Lord, working hard. It's a witness to the unsaved. So today... We are called to please God, not to earn his love, earn his acceptance, but because of the reality, we already are loved and accepted. And so we say, oh God, help me to battle for sexual purity. Oh God, help me to keep loving. And oh God, help me to work hard. And I just want to say too, it's easy to feel, especially with the first one with sexual purity, it's easy to feel discouraged, but don't miss what Paul is saying. It's a process more and more that you have been made right as a follower of Jesus, that before God, you are holy, righteous, and blameless. There's no sin in sight. You are going to be free of sin one day. So you've been made right. But today, you're in the process of becoming who God has already declared you to be. And may it Woodside, may we work together where we're becoming more and more like Jesus. We're a church of more and more growth.